0: Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. Before we get started, I want to let you know that this podcast will cover sensitive details on the topic of military sexual trauma. And the discussion may be disturbing to some listeners. Sexual assault and harassment have plagued the U.S. armed forces for decades, but until recently, survivors have largely been afraid to speak out. Now, a growing chorus of active duty and retired service members are hoping to finally bring their stories forward. Today's episode are some of those stories. My two guests joining me today founded the hashtag #MeToo military movement in hopes of helping others find a path to recovery from military sexual trauma. Their mission is to educate, connect, and inspire. In educating, they are committed to researching and supporting alternative therapeutic modalities to aid others in the recovery and inspire post-traumatic growth among survivors of military sexual assault. In connecting, they want to remind people, you do not have to walk this path alone. If you're a survivor, we encourage you to connect with the community and share your experience and gain advice from those who have been there. In inspiring, the organization hopes to build resilience in the community of survivors and share their experience. Together, they hope to empower veterans and inspire future advocates and activists to serve in their communities.
1: So, uh, my name is Lucelena Stacy Thompson. Um, and I am one of the co-founders of Me Too Military. I am a survivor of military sexual trauma from when I served in the United States Marine Corps. Um, I enlisted back in 1998. So, um, we're talking over 20 years ago. But um, yeah, I'm a, outside of that, I'm a professional artist, um, writer, mother, lover of all things. So um, that is who I am.
0: Thank you. Yeah.
2: Trina. Hi. So my name is Trina McDonald. I am a co founder of Me Too Military. Um, I served in the United States Navy from 1988 to 1990, so 30 years out. Um, Let's see, on a good day, I am a very productive member of Minority Veterans of America as their outreach coordinator here in Seattle, uh, working with underrepresented veteran populations such as homeless women, uh, LGBTQ, people of color. Uh, and just those not getting the services that they need. Um, Yeah, so there's a brief intro into who I am.
0: Thank you both. Um, So that takes us perfectly into kind of my first um, open question, which is all three of us actually met uh, last week um, at a summit for emerging leaders that was hosted by uh, Minority Veterans of America and Trina as you mentioned you're involved in that organization I would love to hear about um, how both of you came to learn about Minority Veterans of America and ultimately um, you know brought us all three together in that, that uh, conference.
1: Sure. Uh,
0: Luz why don't you, why don't you uh, start and then I'll have um, Trina jump
1: in. Sure. Um, so yes, I forgot to mention too. I'm, uh, also a member of minority veterans of America. I originally, um, met Lindsay church. Um, I had gone last year to a conference, um, a women veterans conference with the mission continues organization. Um, and I had known of Lindsay because of Trina who I met two years ago. Um, and I had kind of followed everything that Lindsay was doing online. And so by the time I was there, I was a little starstruck. I was like, Trina, guess who I just met? So um, so I got a chance to meet Lindsay there in person. And um, we ended up just sitting next to each other the whole um, conference and really getting to know one another. Um, and so then by the time we had... Um, She had planned out the Emerging Leaders Retreat. I got an invite and I was humbled and excited to go. So that is, uh, that's how I met Lindsay.
2: Awesome. So I met Lindsay Lindsay Church, who is the president of Minority Veterans of America. Several years ago, we were both attending uh, a progressive veterans organization institute training. Um, So I was working on doing a lot of legislative work. And so at that time, you know, I met Lindsay. I fell in love with her passion to want to help veterans. And so as the years gone on, because she actually lives up here in the Seattle area, well, used to anyway, and um, I started talking to her about changing the narrative around military sexual trauma, and we just kept talking and finally um, became a member of MVA and eventually I became one of their volunteers here in the Seattle area.
0: So, yeah, so I would love to kind of jump right in a little bit um, and hear from both of you around. As I mentioned, there was the Emerging Leaders Retreat or uh, Summit that we were all at um, and that we gathered to meet. Um, Trina, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of what that Emerging Leaders Retreat um, was was intended to do? and uh, what are some of the things, I guess, that you've learned this past week since we've had that gathering?
2: Well, I think that the Emerging, Emerging Leaders Retreat was created so that there was going to be space for people that are in leadership roles across the nation. And we're all doing, taking up this veteran space, you know, doing our own thing. And Lindsay wanted to bring everybody together so that we could all get on the same page and see how we could collaborate with one another. Um, and what was the second part of that question? How am I feeling?
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess, how are you feeling since the gathering? And then what are some of the things you learned this past week? Because I, I, I know we, we covered a lot in uh, about three or four days. Um, so yeah, how are you feeling after that inaugural summit? And then what are some of the things you've learned this past week?
2: Um, I'm feeling tired. And, you know, just because I was very present. And not that I'm not normally present, you know, in my life. But when I get around a group of people, I'm a little more I, I throw up some some boundaries just to take care of my own self um, because of my anxiety and dealing with PTSD. And um, I don't know. I just had this wonderful experience of kind of, you know, open the door and being like, OK, I'm going to let everybody in. I don't know what's coming out, but here you go. And um, yeah, I just learned a lot about vulnerability. Um. You know, for me, vulnerability is kind of that tricky, I want you to be vulnerable for me means weakness. And, you know, and so to be vulnerable around other veterans, I felt really safe. And, you know, so learning about the vulnerability and leaning in and holding space for other veterans that may not be in the same place that I am with my recovery, um, but being there for one another. And that felt pretty amazing.
0: Thank you for sharing. Luz, um, would love to hear, um, some of your thoughts, um, after just being back a few days after the summit, um, how are you feeling? What are some of the things that you learned in the gathering?
1: So definitely feeling, uh, inspired, which is wonderful, right? I feel like coming back that, um, we really made an impact there and the people there made an impact on me. Um, And so inspired in the sense of, I'm like, I can't wait to see what we're going to do next, you know? Um, But the other thing, especially about what I learned there was I learned how to be vulnerable. And, and that it's so interesting. Those are two things that I never would have correlated leadership and vulnerability like Trina. um, And I think like many people that go through sexual trauma, there is a a space there that trust is so affected and the ability to open up and be vulnerable with someone else. A lot of times we put that armor up, like that prevents us from actually going to that place in fear of, well, what if I get hurt? What if I get emotionally um, scarred by revealing who I am? And, you know, and the, the most interesting thing I think that I took away from that was the more... I understand who I am and who I am not, um, and I'm vulnerable with myself, the better I have an ability to be very real with people on a level where I check in with myself every few minutes. How am I doing? Am I oversharing? Am I revealing too much? Am I staying true to the vulnerable part that is pulling out my strengths? Um, you know, I think the other thing I learned there the last couple of days that, um that we spent there was and i didn't really truly understand this until it was brought to my attention is that the issue of military sexual trauma is a global issue and that just it took what we were doing and made it so it's so much more important right so much more more of a mission more of a value um just to see it from a global perspective i'm still trying to wrap my head around that um, but you know, that coming from that, there's, there's sort of the intimacy that we spent with everyone. There was a renewed sense of community. Um, and like Trina said, the, you know, being able to just to be with people in that space was again, inspiring. I'm, I'm losing words for it. It was pretty amazing. Uh, definitely transformate transformational for me.
0: Thank you for, for sharing. There's there's a couple of things I wanted to highlight that I really appreciate that you shared, Luz. One was the aspect of vulnerability and leadership. And you talked about those two um, not necessarily being, um, you know, not necessarily being um, coexisting, I think. And I, I really appreciate that you shared that because one of the great things I get to see in working with a lot of organizations is... When people do stop and they get the um, the courage, frankly, to uh, embrace vulnerability, I've actually seen some pretty transformative uh, moments of leadership, where they do uh, they step up, and um, that's actually when the the really memorable moments of leadership show up. So that's the first thing I, I wanted to to call out. The second thing was, and this will kind of take us into my next question in a minute, um, when you talked about the global. The global power of noted, of knowing that the um, Me Too military movement, as you've um, as you've uh, noticed, is not just a not just a, a local thing, um, not just a national thing, but it is a global um, it is a it is a global recognition and feeling that there's a community around this. Um, I would love to to share with the listeners. Um, I imagine a lot of listeners probably know about the Me Too movement, the hashtag Me Too movement. There's many people out there that probably don't know about the Me Too military movement. I'd love for, Luz, for you to to start off and tell us a little bit about the uh, Me Too military organization that you both founded, and then um, a little bit about the mission and vision, and then um, we'll jump to to, to Trina for her insights as well.
1: You know what? Can I have Trina start with what the mission and vision is, and then I can jump in um, and sort of explain that. The global connection
2: there. That'd be great. Sure. Well, the mission of Me Too Military is to build resilience in the community of survivors of MST. And I think resilience is probably one of the biggest keys is because I think a lot of us really lost that after all assaults and didn't know that we could recover from a difficult situation, and especially one such as violating as MST. Our vision is to empower survivors by educating the importance of community connection and through survivors and supporters Um, by supporting and inspiring others to walk the path of post-traumatic growth, which Lou will explain a little bit more. This is to accomplish. Oh, this is accomplished by using recreational therapies to facilitate recovery, such as equine therapy, surfing, hiking activities that inspire others through recreation So those are our mission and our vision Um, and I think that you know when Luz and I put those two things together we realized that it was so important to know that you could recover from being assaulted and not you know you get diagnosed with PTSD and you get that oh well everything's over I'm never going to get better it's always going to be this way. And when we developed our mission and vision, we wanted to make sure that we included that, you, you know, this is a process. You can get better. You don't always have to have your worst day every day, you know? So we wanted to make sure that people understood that.
1: Thank you, Trina. Um, so to bring that to sort of, you know, as we were, developing the organization from the beginning, um, one of our questions was, well, who do we serve, right? And how do we determine that, um, you know, and and just to be very vulnerable right now and real, you know, when you are beginning a nonprofit, that is a major question um, that you have to ask yourself. Who does my organization serve? And and clearly define that. Um, And for us, what we realized was, you know, we thought about, well, what populations are affected? Um, And we came to realize that, unfortunately, every demographic that we could think of, um, there was someone that we knew that had been a survivor of MST. And when I say MST, I am not speaking about just one, you know, one, one issue that one faces. I'm talking about everything... All the way from sexual harassment to rape, sexual assault—all of these things combined, right? So, anyone who has had during their military service an experience with sexual violence—that is what we're referring to. Um, so, we we took a look at that. You know, what populations are we talking about? Um, and we realized that basically every demographic was represented. Um, that this is happening in all of our branches of service. This is not isolated to a specific gender. um, And this is not isolated or broken up, you know, to well, it only happens on the enlisted side, but not the officer. This is going on everywhere, unfortunately. So the population um, that we determined of who we want to serve is everybody, including, you know, pre-9-11. We can't imagine that this is only happening since 9-11. This has been going on for a long time. Um, so, you know, so that's one of the, the things for us that really got our attention is, okay, there's not one area that's, that hasn't been impacted or affected by this. Mm-hmm. And so to bring that, you know, to bring that information and that understanding to the Emerging Leaders Retreat and to sit down with somebody who brought to my attention, well, it isn't just happening in the United States military. And I, st- I had, had to step back and go, oh, you know, almost like, wow, that, you know, that sort of the same way that we describe to people within the U.S. that, hey, it's not just happening in the Navy or it's not just happening in the Marine Corps. Or, it's not just happening to women or, you know, or just this group of men. Um, you know, we started to understand in that conversation um, that not only is it a global issue, But it is a global issue in all the different militaries um, that what makes it different than the Me Too movement, if we think of the United States military, um, we recognize that there are, it has its own set of laws, right? The community itself is independent of the civilian community. And so they do things different. We um, We deal with reports of sexual violence different than the civilian communities do. So when we were putting the organization together we realized that you know the me too movement essentially for us what it did is it it highlighted the the issue that we had been facing on a national scale um in the civilian communities and it allowed us to feel safe in coming forward and saying yes we understand what you've been through we have as well and unfortunately for us you know for all military communities we're starting to see even outside of the u.s um if laws and prosecution, you know, policies and things like that are different, then we have to deal with Me Too military on a different scale. Um, And, you know, and it's it's unfortunate to think that it is happening all over, that there probably is not a military that has not been in some senses affected by this, Um, but it's encouraging to know that we're probably not the only two that are working on something like this. We're, we are probably two of many, many women and men that are passionate about you know, understanding our basic human right to, to serve in a military free of sexual violence. And should it happen, the basic human right, that we have the right to recover. So.
0: That's, that is, Absolutely beautiful to hear. And I think it's even, even though, you know, we spent, we spent a good three days together last week. I'm, every time we talk, I'm still learning more. I think, I think the lens in which, um, you know, I, I, we sometimes forget this as veterans, right? The aspect of, of UCMJ, right? It's an entirely separate governing body, um, that determines laws and determines, um, you know, responses and, and punishment um, and justice. It's, it's, it's an entirely different governance of justice. And I think if you take that to the global scale and the cultural, you know, nuances and um, laws and, and, and different ways that people are treated, it is, um, it is really challenging to think about the, the, the scale. Um, but it also makes me think about, you know, one of the things that when you think about your mission and vision, just how powerful it is you know to connect, to educate, and inspire. And Trina, I loved how you you talked about the um, the the real mindfulness of helping people heal. Um, and when you talk about you know equine therapy or surfing therapy or being being in nature, um, I think it's so interesting. You know, as I think about um, even diplomacy, you know, there's. Yeah we think about um, diplomacy between countries and when countries kind of want to heal, what's, what's one of the ways that they do that. They sometimes turn to things like sports. They turn to things that you can have children with a childlike wonder uh, play out. And then all of a sudden you don't see the differences anymore and people can sort of heal through sports diplomacy. And so when you think about the ways of connecting and inspiring and educating um, I'd love to hear from from both of you in terms of that. Um, you know, where do you, where do you start? How do you start? I mean, this is. I love the idea of, of surfing and, and and hiking. And do you start small? Do you can you can you avoid starting big? How do you do that? Like, how do you manage that
1: change?
2: Well, I think that you know, for me, so I was an elite athlete when I was in high school. I had scholarships to go play basketball. And, but instead I, I chose to serve, you know, so I, I get to use those, those memories and those stories to be able to connect with another human being, you know, that's, you know, was an athlete as well, you know, or, you know, enjoy doing something recreational, you know, camping certain, you know, lose loves to surf. You know, I like to walk because I'm scared of surfing. <laughs> so, you know, I, the connect, understand, and, and inspire, you know, we want people to be able to share their stories. And I think that's where we begin. I think we start small. Um, I don't think that everybody wants to jump in with both feet, you know, because we've all been through trauma. And it's, you know, we're testing the waters at all times. I think that in sharing our stories, we have the opportunity to understand one another. Um, and, you know, that we're, we're all in this together. Um, and inspiring. I think that we have this huge, huge platform. You know, you know, I, I was a subject of an award-winning documentary, The Invisible War. So I had this platform to be able to share my story on a much larger scale than a lot of people did. More people knew about my story than I knew about my story, you know, and, you know, I think that you get to use, all those things, you you roll them into one. I mean, we break them into three, but we roll them all into one as this thing, I'm going to recover. And I think that we're so afraid of that in the MST community. Um, you know, a lot of times one of the problems is people feel as though they need to qualify. You know, well, you know, mine wasn't as bad. My assault wasn't as bad as your assault. So I don't really know if, you know, that that means that I was actually assaulted or not. You know, one of my assailants was female. And so people assume because I'm, I'm a gay woman that, you know, if I was assaulted by another woman or, oh, you know, it's a whole tricky situation. And what we try to do as Me Too military is to let people know that it doesn't matter how it happened. It's that it happened. You know, we're all survivors um, and we really want to see people to grow from that. And if that means you jump on a board and you go surfing, you know, or you take a walk out in the woods, you know, so be it, you know, we just want to try to remind people that, you know, I'm never going to be an elite athlete again, but I have that heart about me. And I know that a lot of people do have that heart and want to do something that is, you know, who doesn't want to have a good time, you know, and, and feel better about what's going on in their life, you know, because we're, you know, we're often, pictured or, you know, presented as, you know, we're all disheveled and, you know, everything's broken inside of us and we're never going to be a functioning human, you know, we'll never be that again. You know, instead we want to inspire people to go, you know, this is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to kind of tap your toe in the water a little bit and go, I'm going to try this, you know, the equine therapy. What a great way to be able to, to be vulnerable and also learn something about yourself with somebody with an, or with an animal that's not going to be like, well, I told you it really wasn't going to work out, you know. But right. just be able to have a conversation with another another being and know that it's they're just as scared as you are. So,
0: yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, Luz. Uh, Would love Would love your thoughts here too.
1: Sure, um, you know. So I think the the root of the question: Where do you start? Um, I'm going to answer that in two different spaces. So where would I recommend, based on my experience now, recommending that somebody start from, I think, and, and I know Trina feels the same way, and this is where our foundation is, is rooted in, is this idea that the stepping stone to everything else we do is mental health, right? We cannot operate in a system of where our trust is broken and our we feel broken, and there's all this stuff going on, the mental health component is probably the biggest starting point. It's what I would recommend to anyone. It's where I began, um, and I know for Trina, it's where she began as well. Um, so just getting it, you know, getting connected with a mental health professional. So that there's somebody there to provide a cushion as you begin stepping into, you know, maybe more recreational activities. So we believe that there's room there for, you know, cognitive processing therapy, all those things. Um, But there comes a point, you know, I've been doing this for years now. Um, I started my journey with mental health probably in 2013. And, you know, and it was slow paced and I didn't discover you know, maybe I discovered it by, by accident, the recreational aspect of, you know, of therapy and how therapeutic it can be to do things besides top therapy. Um, and, you know, and stepping into that, like I started to learn that, okay, there comes a point where I don't want to just talk about it. I need to do something for me. It was in 2013 after I, um, went public for the first time, I gave a a press conference um, with Senator and I was so lost as to what to do next. And I came home and I read all the things on Facebook and Instagram that people were saying, and I I just wanted to hide. And so I grabbed a surfboard and I decided to take myself out to the ocean because it was the one place that my phone didn't go with me. And I could just sort of disconnect for a second Um, and what I discovered there was that now I was facing a new fear, right? Now it's like a legit fear of this huge wave is coming at me and I have to not panic. Um, and many times I did, but you know, you learn how to deal with your anxiety and and make decisions in the moment and surfing forces you to be present. You can't sit there and think about something else and say, Hey, wave, hold on. You know, (laughs) just doesn't work that way. Um, so for me, that was like the greatest gift because again, I'm disconnecting, I'm unplugging when I'm out in the ocean. Um, and then I found that there were so many life lessons and and metaphors that I learned about surfing to bring back on land. And then I got introduced to working with horses. And um, and we'll tell you a little later, that's it's kind of funny how that all intertwines on how Trina and I met. Um, but you know, I discovered going in and climbing mountains. I'm scared of heights. So again, I'm putting myself in a position where I'm scared and I have to get the noise to quiet in my head so that I can achieve this thing that I want to do. And when I get to the top of that mountain, I look down and I, I realize like, I did this despite my fear. I pushed through and did I cry at certain points? Absolutely. Did I have a breakdown where I thought I couldn't take another step? Yep. But I did it and I kept going. And so, you know, coming away from these sort of recreational activities thinking, you know, well, it's just surfing or it's just mountain climbing or just that. No, actually, those things gave me more insight to how I operate, that I don't quit, that despite my fear, I keep going. And so if I can bring those things back and someone wants to hear about them and somebody actually says to me, hey, that inspires me and it helps me to want to do I've always wanted to do kayaking. So I went in a kayak because you said you went on a mountain. And, you know, those, that is where I think the root of, of our organization lies is, is the ability for us to share that recovery. It's a lifelong thing and it's something to be very proud of, you know. And that's very different than... I'm not going to share my experience in the one-on-one counseling sessions, but I'll tell you all day long about what it was like to, you know, the worst wipeout I ever had kind of thing and the biggest mountain I ever climbed. Um, and we found that we have, there's a community of people out there that are doing these things. Um, and what we want to do is bring them together sort of like by a bonfire, let's share, everybody share your experiences. We've become expert guides. Um, we've discovered post-traumatic growth, and we're doing these things, not in spite of what happened to us, but because of it. Um, so finding a community of people to share this with has been the most life-changing thing I've experienced. And I just want to keep going.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, even even through this mechanism, I can feel the energy kind of literally vibrating off you. And it's it's so <laughs> inspiring because it reminds me, you know, last week when we, when the three of us met and we were, we had just had this this opportunity to, to share, you know, one of the things I think uh, people realized was the uh, we kept talking about emotions and I think we, we hit on the word emotion and, and, you know, 90% of that word, 95% of that word is emotion mm-hmm. and the, the importance of having feelings move through you in order to heal. And sometimes that is in telling your story and sometimes it's getting on a surfboard and sometimes it's getting up on a mountain and all of those things involve movement. Um, and I think the other piece that I really appreciate that you both shared, uh, you know, Trina, you hit on this was um, giving yourself the permission. You know, it's it's walking away from this um, this sense of qualif- qualifying, as you as you stated. You know, um, I shared with, with you both and, and the, the group last week. There was a great article I read on LinkedIn from a, from a fellow veteran that said the two words that veterans need to lose from the vocabulary are I only. So I only had this happen to me or I only served this amount of time or you know, I only was on a surfboard for, for 12 seconds before I fell. No, like stop with the qualifying because um, you know, we are all living bravely and we are telling our stories uh, the way we know how. And sometimes that's, it's, it's talking other times it's, as you said, Luz, you know, being out there in the ocean, you can't tell a wave to stop. Um, and I remember, you know, I love, I love the ocean analogy because for me, you know, I, I read this great book called Blue Mind, and it was all about um, what happens to the human brain around water, in water, um, and I think about, even as a child, you know, I was taught, how to dive under the waves um, in Southern California in San Juan Capistrano, not too far from, you know, not too far North of, of where you're at. And the power that you give over that you have respect for the ocean, but at the same time, you need to, you need to learn how to work with the ocean and it does it requires you to be very present. I got to dive under the wave or am I going to take the wave? Is it going to turn me? Is it going to turn me? Am I going to look around to see who can help me? You know, that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's really powerful. Um, I know you mentioned also how the two of you met um, around the equine therapy. I'd love to hear that story.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'll start. Um, so I'm laughing because, you know, I, I have come to absolutely love the human being that Trina is. Um because we share this same idea two years ago. You know, I knew who Trina was because of the invisible war. I had never met her. We had never spoken, but I knew her and I knew I felt a connection when I was watching it. Cause I was like, I know, I know that story. It's so it hit me so personally. Um that I finally I got to both of us said yes to the idea of, hey, would you like to come up to, uh, I think it was Caliente, California, um, because we've got a bunch of wild mustangs that have not yet been really touched by human hands other than when they were, were rounded up, which for them was a very traumatic experience. Um, and so these horses, these wild mustangs have not yet really had human interaction. So would you humans like to come in um and go in a round pen with them. And you know, and I just think it's amazing that that opportunity, she said yes to. I said yes to. You want to talk about vulnerability? So you want me to go in a pen with a wild horse that really doesn't know what to do with a human? Okay, where do I sign up? <laughs> um and so, you know, so I was I was looking forward to it A because one I, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, but the other part too is, you know, they were offering me an opportunity, um, to get to know myself without having to actually go in and and do cognitive processing therapy or have to sit in a therapeutic office. Um, and that was amazing, right? Learning how to trust myself and understand what to do in there with a horse. So, um, so I get there and I see Trina and I am so starstruck. I'm like, I know you, you know, and I'm just, I'm like, oh my goodness. And then even more, she was like, I know you. And I'm thinking, no, you know, like you're Trina McDonald. That's amazing. Um, And so we spent, you know, I think back to it, we, we met each other on a mountain and we spent a good part of that week sharing our experience and sharing the fact that, um, we had existed for so long in this space of, you know, not, not what I would consider mental health, this space of being all over the place, head spinning, you know, anxiety ridden days. And it seemed like there was a lot of people there to sort of share in that. And the more I felt like I dove into my recovery and really started to, to notice myself getting better, the more lonely I was getting. And I did not tell that to anybody, right? Because I'm like, here I am getting exactly what it is I'm working for and what I want. And I'm feeling this deep sense of loneliness because essentially I felt like I had climbed this mountain that was so difficult. And now I'm like, where is everybody? And that week I realized I met somebody that had been doing the same thing. And she had felt the same way. And, and that was where the connection was going, wow, Trina gave me essentially permission for it to be okay, to be okay now. It was okay to say, hey, I've got some rough days. Those are never going to go away. But for the most part, I'm going to keep climbing that mountain until I get to the top of whatever I'm trying for. And then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to find somebody that's walking up it. And I'm going to tell them how I got there. And maybe they'll do the same and the same. So, you know, that's that's sort of how I see this thing. Again, I was so thankful that I met another person. That I met Trina McDonald, who she it's like she knew everything about me because she had lived through the same experience. Beautiful, yeah, oh. Trina. Wow. Oh, okay. Thank you, Luz.
2: Um, you know, it's I like what you said about we were just existing, you know, and I know for myself I was invited to um to do the, the horse retreat with wild mustangs. I had been there once before and uh you know boot camp is what they called it, and you know, got to go with some of the people from the Invisible War. And so it was kind of, you know, people that I had met over the years and not to say that that was a bad thing, but it was people that I already knew. And they were all, we were all on these different le- levels of getting better. And so when I got asked to come back as a shepherd, uh, which is what I was, my job was as far as meeting, getting people on board as far as coming to this particular retreat. And I saw, you know, Elena, you know, Thompson. And I'm like, well, who's, who's that? You know, and then I saw it was Stacy Thompson. I'm like, oh, OK, so now I know who you are. And, you know, we met and I don't think once we met, there wasn't a time that we weren't together after that point. Um, and it it just was that place where we got into conversations and I didn't feel alone. You know, like she was saying, you can be surrounded and be the, in the largest group of people you can possibly imagine and still feel alone and i had the opportunity to sit down with her and we started talking about mst and and recovery and you know and how hard it is and you know if that but that things do get better you know and it's like you have to whisper like oh we can get better and it's okay it's like don't let anybody know you know and and it it, it really was this r- incredibly inspiring moment in my life you know because i had gotten to that place where it was like you know i would tell my wife i'm like you know, everybody I meet is in this competition to be, you know, well, my assault was worse than your assault or, you know, that qualifier that we were talking about earlier. And it, it's, it's hard. It's exhausting because you just want people to be okay. You know, we've been through enough, you know, let's, let's get to a place where we're, we're better and that's all right. And Louise and I got to talking and, and, um, it just all fell into place. You know, we had no idea that we were going to co-found an organization called Me Too Military at that moment, but we, we knew that we were going to be friends. I mean, it was this moment of, of having a discussion with somebody I just met, but feeling like I had known her all my life. And, you know, we were on the same journey. You know, we talk about post-traumatic growth and, you know, existing and, you know, just moving forward, this constant state of motion. And, you know, just so happened she was the person that I reached my hand out to and she was there and vice versa. Um, You know, I, I don't know, getting in the round pen with a bunch of wild horses was not like, you know, I grew up, I was from, I'm from Kentucky. So I grew up with Tennessee walkers, they're much more tame. And, you know, and it was like, no, we want you to get in the pen with these horses that were wild, you know, just wide eyed and scared to death and I think we were, too, because we had no idea because the instructor was like, you know, outside the round pen. <laughs> You're like, shouldn't you be in the round pen with me? And it, it, it really all falls back on that vulnerability piece. You know, I was vulnerable enough to share with somebody that I just met that, hey, you know, I'm afraid to let people know I'm getting better. You know, and she agreed. And so we I don't think that we've stopped talking in the past two years that we since we've met, you know, we we continue conversations about, you know, let's get better. Let's do things to help other people be better. You know, why do I have to go to the VA and look like I'm, you know, I just stepped out of, you know, an encampment somewhere. Um, So today we build each other up rather than tear each other down. Um, so that's a really that's been a gift, and as my wife will always say, put that in your bucket, you know. And I, so I put it in my bucket every day, and I'm reminding Louise to put it in her bucket as well, because we we're on a road to do amazing things.
0: Yeah, I- beautiful testimony. Yeah, sorry,
1: go ahead, Luz. Oh, I was just gonna say, you know, we met in April, I believe, of 2017. Was it 17 or 18? 17. 2018. So yeah, so we had met in April, um, you know, and, and when the organization, it's, it's exactly what Trita said, we did not meet and go, we should co-found an organization together. No. Um, but what we did is we had these really deep conversations and started to pull apart some pieces and say, hey, I don't know that anyone else is addressing this particular area or this particular one. And what we found that was similar in them as they all really address mental health. And we were like, okay. So through the course of talking and and getting a lot of things written down, um, we went from April, uh, we approached January 1st of this year as the time that we decided to finally, you know, put the website together, get our thoughts on paper, um, understand what our mission is. And so Me Too Military was actually launched January 1st of 2019. Just to give you a perspective of... You know, wow. where, where and when it started, it started on a horse ranch um, in Caliente, but it really began January 1st as an organization. And I think, um, I think it's an indication of, of what's to come, of how fast we have moved this year and, and the work we've been able to accomplish.
2: Well, I think we've been really mindful about that moving forward piece. You know, like you said, we, we co-founded the organization and it was launched in January of 2019. The whole time leading up to that has just been, you know, small little building blocks, you know, along the way, you know, and a lot of hiccup, you know, having some hiccups, just like every nonprofit does, which we are not yet, but we're working on it. And, you know, it's, I think that we've just been mindful and caring and kind. Uh, We started out doing the legislative part of it and it was like, you know. I think that mental health is much more important than, you know, not to say that legislation isn't important because it totally is. But the mental health piece, the recovery piece, you know, how it it melds together, I think, is one of the most important things that that we can do as an organization.
0: Yeah, I really I really um, appreciate that you both um, talked about sort of the mindful part of this work. And that kind of brings me to a a question um, that's kind of a difficult one, but when you're working in this movement space, um, it's challenging, it's exhausting, um, it's ambiguous, it's uncharted. So I would love to hear from both of you around how you're managing the change or how you're finding balance. Um, And I think you alluded to this a little bit, um, but when you step back and kind of give yourself that permission to say, um, how am I doing this? Um, I mean, you two are really changing. Um, you're changing the world and changing the organizations and changing people's lives on many levels. How are you managing that change, and how are you finding balance?
1: So, for me, you know the. Oh, do you want to go ahead? I'm sorry. No, oh, no. Rock, scissors, You go first. <laughs> um, the number one thing is the acknowledgement of what my self-care plan looks like, right? And that's something that as I develop and I change in this space, um, so does my self-care plan. It used to be limited to maybe, well, I just need to make sure I do a little bit of artwork, a little bit of surfing and I'm good. Um, and what I have found is that, you know, really acknowledging and, and constantly evolving with my self-care plan writing it down understanding what I need in order to keep functioning in this this difficult space which it is Um, the second part of that is really strengthening and I've heard this in multiple different veteran spaces um, but really honing in on my three to five right who are the three to five people that are closest to me that I can be vulnerable with that I can call on the days and I have many where I'm not doing good and I don't want to do an interview and I don't want to talk about my feelings that day. I I want to yell. I want to, I want to isolate. Those are, those are the days that I need a group of three to five people that go, how you doing? My answer is fine. No, really, how you doing? Fine. Until I finally, okay, I'm not fine. (laughs) I'm not fine at all. Um, so keeping that three to five and, and telling them in the moments when I'm not hurting, this is what it's going to look like when I put my armor on. I'm going to isolate. I'm not going to call you for days. I am going to tell you 50 times that I'm fine and insist everything is good. Um, and they know that there are indicators now of we need to reach in a little more, a little more and lean in a little more. Um, working on continued leadership development you know, I've, I have this thing from the Marine Corps, the lead by example. Um, I cannot ask somebody to do something that I myself am not willing to do. And many times I've been confronted with the fact that that's extremely difficult. When you ask me to take care of myself, sometimes I don't want to, I don't want to face what it is I need to care for. So I'd rather stay super busy to not have to look at it. um, But working on leadership development and understanding that there are really healthy ways to go about that. Recreational therapy is a huge one for me. Surfing, hiking, artwork, writing, creative outlets, um, and continuing to share my experience, too. That is, you know, I was told a while ago that what I have been through has made me an expert guide. And I thought, no, no. Not at all, you know, no. I did the imposter syndrome thing. I did the, I don't know if I even belong in this space kind of thing. Um, You know, and that, that has been something that I've been reminded in order to continue having, you know, the ability to step forward in this work as it's needed day in and day out, I have to share my story. I have to share the fact that I've learned a few things along the way But I am still and will always be, you know, there are still struggles. I just have to learn how to struggle really well. Um, So for me, that is, you know, that's how I am able to do this, by God's grace. (laughs) Thank you. Trina?
2: Yes. Thanks, Luz. For me, it's, you know, I'm 20 years sober. Well, I'll be 20 years sober in November. So my recovery comes in, it's kind of twofold. You know, I, I make sure that I go to meetings. I talk to people in recovery, you know, and I tell my truth always. And, you know, and with that comes seeing a mental health therapist, you know, on a, on a weekly basis or not, not weekly anymore, we've changed it. So that's good. So I'm getting better, you know, but, um, you know, going to, you know, recovery in in my own way, um, doing my mental health treatment. Um, and of course having my service dog, Susie always helps me, uh, navigate the world. But I, I, you know, I accept the challenges that they, that as they come out for me today, you know, that could be the doom and gloom and everything, you know, I'm going to go eat some worms that whole nine yards. And, you know, and I have those moments, but they're, they're few and far between. So for me, it's, it's really about, I guess, acceptance, you know? And, you know, kind of like what Lou's is saying, you know, by the grace of God, go I, you know, that's, you know, something I've heard my whole recovery. And, you know, and and so I believe that, you know, in that this, I try not to cuss, but, you know, this shit's not hard or it's not not easy. And, you know, it's, it's something that we have to do together. And and it's like Lou says, you know, sharing our story is so important. You know, today my story is different than it used to be. Before it was just that raw, oh, I'm in so much pain. You know, today I can tell you that I'm a survivor and horrible things happen, but I'm a survivor, you know, and on the other side of that is it's getting better, you know. So my mental health and my recovery are so important to me. Um, I have people that I know, like, you know, Lou's is talking about the three to five. I have people in my life that will certainly call me on my, my bull, you know, if I'm saying I'm fine, everything's okay. They're, you know, they're good fishermen and, and they get it out of me eventually. Um, and I have an amazing wife and family that support me. Um, my wife is Italian and holds no bar. She will, uh, and Lou's had the opportunity to meet her up here for the emerging leaders retreat. And, she can tell you all about my wife, Amy. Lovely. woman, <laughs> lovely. <laughs> and she, uh, she certainly um, holds me true to my word. And I think that's probably one of the biggest factors in my recovery that helps more than anything is being able to be true to who I am and to who I have in my life as friends. So, yeah.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you both for, for sharing. Um, and, and, you know, testifying the importance of that, doing that self-work, that self-care work is really, really important. Um, and then to add to that, the people around you, um, you know, this is, um, I say healing and recovery is, is very much a team sport. Um, you know, when you have that three to five, uh, people around you, and sometimes it's not family. Um, sometimes it's friends, sometimes it's veterans that know what you've been through. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing that, that balance of self-care and team sport. Um, as we're kind of coming towards the end here, I would love the opportunity for, um, for you both to kind of share where people can learn more about uh, Me Too Military and frankly how they can find out um, how to share their stories. Because as you both testified to, it's the sharing of stories where the healing really takes an exponential power um, in this world and in this community, so I'd love to know a little bit about where people can learn more um, about the organization, um, maybe how to support, and maybe how to get their story out there.
1: Absolutely. So our our website is um, Me to Military Movement, but it's mvmt dot org. Um, so our website would be a good starting point. Um on there you'll be able to find um, you know, I think it's info at me to military movement.org. Um we have our, our contact page where we have listed our phone numbers. You know, there's there's a very human part to this um where we want to be available for people. And sometimes the things you need to ask or the things you need to say can only be done human to human. Um, and some people are not wanting to articulate it just through, you know, well, I'll send this not knowing who it's going to. Um, so that's on there. As far as sharing our story, um, on our website, we have a page that's designated for survivors. And when you go on there, you will see, uh, an opportunity to click on learn our story or share your own. Um, the good part is right now. Unless you ask us to post it up there and you want it public, um, it doesn't go there. It goes to us, um, and we feel like you know that is that's a very important key thing. Is that just because you share does not mean it's made for public eye. Sometimes just sharing and that one-on-one connection um, is what someone needs to go. Okay, I now feel and know that I am not alone, and um, and I think that, you know, beginning from the website, there, you know, you'll see one of the first things is, is the ability to join the community. Essentially, that is, you know, as a new up-and-coming organization, that's our biggest goal is to build community, um, so the best way people can support is saying, yes, I want to be part of that community, and we often lean in, to that community to let them know what we're doing um, to ask advice on how we're doing. That's the other thing. We don't know everything. <laughs> I don't want to know everything. I want to be wrong sometimes. Um, so that we have an opportunity as we know better to actually do better.
2: So we have a few questions for you, Bill.
0: Please go ahead. I love it when people turn the tides.
2: <laughs> yeah. So what was your starting point in reference to MSD? <sighs> when did you first find out about it?
0: How did I first find out about MST?
2: Yeah, how did you learn about MST?
0: Yeah, so I would say, um, as a veteran, um, as a as a male veteran, as a gay male veteran, um, you know, I think we all um, we all have, as we talked about, we all kind of have our armor and our layers, right? And in in my experience, um, getting to uh, serve and getting to serve in some unique places and spaces, I actually was in the U.S. Army Reserve um, at the time um, and as a civilian working in the Pentagon um, during the time of um, the policy don't ask, don't tell being um, lifted. And so... It was really an interesting time for me because uh, while there were a lot of people celebrating um, a policy and a law change, there were also a lot of people um, that started to have a platform in which to tell their story. And um, while there was a lot of celebration, um, including, you know, for 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 people like me, there were also a lot of people that started talking to each other differently and saying, um, I've had a different experience um, in in the military, um, and so it was during my time in the Pentagon, um, and frankly, a community of people that that grew pretty organically, where I first heard about military sexual trauma um, from a, from a from a testimonial. Somebody shared kind of their story with me, and then and then shortly, kind of after that, right? Because a lot of times we have, um, as we're educated and your eyes are open to things. You you start to you start to listen and you start to see things and I I intentionally started to try to find the numbers of some of these things of 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 where you know where this is being tracked where it's being um, addressed um, and I and I learned very quickly that um, it was not easy to find that information um, and some of it was um, being kept. In in you know a way um, from from visi- you know eyes that wanted to understand the the data um, and hear the stories um, and so that was my first encounter um, learning about um, MST um, and it was it started it started there and as you both know when people start to tell stories um, and share their stories you can't help but be impacted and affected um, and it. It made me very conscious of the importance of always listening, um, never assuming that everybody's experience was one in the same. And where you can give voice to people, give voice to people. Where you have a platform, make that platform accessible. Um, so we, you know, we exchanged a little bit last week during during uh, our time at that summit. That's what part of this work is for me. Um, I get the opportunity to work with people go through going through change. Um, going through evolution. And in part of that, um, I want to make sure that their stories are not only heard, but echoed. Um, because if you can echo that story and you can cascade that story, um, then somebody else can hear it on the other side of that mountain or on the, uh, you know, with that next wave to me, that's the importance of this work. So that's, that's kind of where I first heard about it in the walls of the Pentagon, ironically. Um, and, uh, now, it's, now it is, as you said, Liz and, and, and Trina, it's a global issue.
1: Yes. And I'm really, really, I'm so actually glad to hear you articulate that because one of the things I think that's very important to us is when we talk about building community, we're not talking about just survivors. We need, let me repeat that, not want, but need, a community that exists of both survivors and supporters. Um, and the reason that that is so important is that there are people that they're not at the, at the point where they want to, they know what has happened and maybe they're not at the point where they can come forward yet. It took me 13 years before I ever said anything. Um, you know, mm-hmm. after I was in and after what I went through, 13 years to talk about it again. Um, and so the sub- supporter part is so important. And I want to ask all of your listeners, whether you have experienced it personally, whether you are learning about it for the first time, or you know, someone who has been through it, it is, I would like to challenge all your listeners to come and join our community. um, Because we need you. We need people that are willing to stand up and say, this is beyond unacceptable. And it must change and in the meantime i am willing to share the space with someone that needs me so for all the people that are survivors that can't say it we need you we need you to be a supporter while we face this part of recovery we need to know that there is one other person that says i got you you are not alone you are not doing this alone and you never will and for me that you know that angel came in my life and April, a few years, you know, a year back, but, uh, it's, it's really, I'm so glad to hear you say that because we need people like you, Bill. And thank you so much for having us on. I so appreciate it.
0: You're welcome. And thank you for, thank you for the question. I, I really appreciate the, you know, in, in, in the question we get to reflect and I too don't want to, you know, drift too far from when I first learned about this and I'm still learning. And to your point, Um, it's, it is imperative to me, um, to educate and to inspire and to connect. And so wherever we can do that, call on us.
2: Excellent. Thank you so much.
0: Thank Thank you both for the time. And I really appreciate you joining and sharing, uh, your stories. Um, I'm sure that people will reach out. And I always say this because I hope it's the case, but I, I hope that we can have you back on the podcast in the future. And we have some even more inspirational stories to share. Um, and I think about, you know, um, I think about the, the amount of people that are probably listening and might actually, you know, sign up for something or join um, a club or, you know, jump on that circle. Certain- Get in that pen with the horses. Um, and it's what
1: if, right? The, the what, what if. if, exactly. what if I do? What's the worst that could happen? What
0: um, if? And they will feel the movement uh, of those feelings embodied and healing will start to happen. So thank you both for joining and sharing. And let's go change the world.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, thanks. See so. you, ladies. Bye. Thank you.